0: bedrooms, we used to say, are for sleeping and getting lucky. That's it. You're not Hugh Hefner. You don't need a desk in the bed and all your papers spread out and all your screens and all your emails. Do that in the office and leave it the you-know-what behind. You should turn off your screens a half an hour before you go to bed. Use that time to power down.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the Digest This Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Cameron. And today on the show, we have Dr. Johnny Bowden. He is back for part two. And in this episode, we are talking all about sleep. If you haven't listened to part one in episode 48, Dr. Johnny debunks cholesterol and what we've gotten all wrong regarding cholesterol and why we need it. It's such a crucial role. So make sure you go back to episode 48 and listen to that. But again, like I said, today we are talking all about sleep. And how hormones are affected by sleep, dementia, ways to get better sleep, and everything in between. So definitely don't miss a single minute of this episode. Also, shout out to podcast listener IDKGW. They say, I love this podcast for its unique and well-researched information. Rather than just getting on trend, you'll learn things here others aren't tapping into. Great Wellness Podcast. Thank you so much for that review. And as always, I read all of them and love hearing your thoughts. So I always encourage you to rate and review the podcast by doing so. It helps get it out into more ears and hopefully change more lives. If you want a $200 Amazon gift card, all you have to do is give this show a five-star rating and review and I'll be sending someone this special gift. Just be sure to include your Instagram handle at the end of the review because that is the way I will be reaching out and perhaps sliding into your DMs. So pause this episode and rate and review for your chance to get a $200 Amazon gift card. Thank you so much, Johnny, for coming back to the show. We are at part two, and today we're going to talk about uh, about sleep. And so sleep, it's a hot topic and for good reason. So sleep, what does it do to the body beyond just giving our body rest?
0: That's a very good question, and you'd be surprised at how few scientists can answer it. Um, I've been listening to and studying sleep and sleep science for a while, and the best people in the field will say, we really don't know why we sleep. We don't really fully understand uh, the reasons that humans sleep. We, uh, One expert quipped, uh, maybe it's to prevent sleepiness. Uh, but, But the fact is, many things take place during sleep, and we know how important they are, but we don't have an absolute clear understanding of the reason that humans sleep. But we can make many statements about effective sleep and the correlation between sleep and weight and the correlation between sleep and stress, and there's a lot of things we can say about it, but some of it does remain a mystery.
1: Interesting. Well, according to the CDC, one in three adults don't get enough sleep and 40% of adults in the U.S. report symptoms of insomnia, according to the American Journal of Managed Care. And this was reported back in 2020. So it could even be more now that we're in
0: 2023. My guess, a complete hypothesis on which I base just from experience, I think those are underestimated.
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's even higher. Why are so many people just not sleeping and having insomnia?
0: Well, before we talk about why, let's talk about what that means and why it's important. So there's no point in even talking about how bad it is and, and how many people have it if it's not something we understand to be really, really critical. So I'll give you one place that will get everybody's attention. So one of the biggest thing baby boomers fear is losing their minds, is Alzheimer's and dementia. This is on the top of the list of things that baby boomers fear. We've all had parents. We're probably no more than one degree of Kevin Bacon, one degree of separation uh, away from somebody who has uh, dementia or cognitive impairment or even Alzheimer's. Um, so this is a very, very big deal. There are two toxic proteins that are associated with Alzheimer's. One of them is called the tau protein and one is called beta amyloid. And these are found in the autopsies of Alzheimer's patients. They are associated much debate about whether they cause it or they're just found with it, but they are very much tied together with the condition of cognitive impairment. So what sleep scientists have found is that if specific stages of sleep are interrupted, such as deep sleep or REM sleep, those are two different stages. But if they are interrupted, and they can do this experimentally with rats, they can literally interrupt the cycle just during those cycles of the sleep, that these two proteins statistically increase in the brains of people who do not get the proper amount of deep sleep or the proper amount of REM sleep. You can actually see it in the cerebral so, uh, uh, spinal fluid. Uh, and, and there is a literally an increase in these toxic proteins that are associated with cognitive impairment. And it apparently begins to really happen when you get less than seven hours. Seven hours seems to be the magic number. Um, You still need to get the deep, so you can have seven hours or even eight hours of sleep or nine hours and still not have deep or REM sleep. That's something that many of us now know because we have aura rings and aura rings and pod cover, uh, um, um, the Eight Sleep Pod Pro cover. These things actually monitor the stages of sleep. I can see every morning how much deep sleep I had and how much uh, REM sleep I had, and, and how many hours, and what the latency is, how long it took me to fall asleep, and how much time I spent in bed. I can see all of that on my aura Ring. And I, I, I know that not the majority of people don't have aura Rings, but this is coming. This is going to be made less expensive, more available. You're going to start to see it, uh, you know, on wearable devices, very, very affordable. And we will actually know how much REM sleep we're getting and how much deep sleep we're getting. And this correlation to toxic proteins that are related to Alzheimer's is very, very real.
1: Okay, so do, because if we're getting more sleep, then these toxic proteins are less in Correct. our body.
0: If we're getting the right kind of sleep, remember. These are stages. There are stages of sleep. There's four stages plus REM. REM stands for rapid eye movement. That's when most of the dreaming takes place. And uh if those particular stages of sleep are interrupted or you don't get any, that's when the toxic proteins accumulate.
1: Interesting. So we're not getting these toxic proteins from the food we consume. It's simply
0: this from is, the lack this of is one of the sources. I'm not I'm not expert on tau protein and beta amyloid and, and how they're made and and how we get them. I think you can get some of them from, you know, mad cow and stuff like that. I think that they come ready made. But the, the thing that I'm interested in, the thing that I think the take home is for the audience is that something you do influences those toxic proteins. And that thing that you do or don't do is sleeping
1: well. Interesting. Now, I've heard that the best sleep you can get is before 12 a.m. Is that true?
0: Well, it, it, there seems to be some uh, uh, some evidence that certain things take place between 10 and 2 that are very valuable for the body in terms of regeneration, in terms of new biochemicals being made. And people who are on shifts or people who have very irregular bedtimes um usually suffer the consequences of that because they're not sleeping on a regular, regular... Regular hours of sleep are really, really important.
1: Yeah, and that was actually going to be my next question. So what if someone is getting... Let's say you said seven hours, right? Is the sweet spot for it sleep. It to be
0: the sweet spot. Less than seven is a problem. Now,
1: it, what if someone is getting seven hours, but it's interrupted? Like two hours here, three hours there, or does it have to be seven hours um, from start to finish.
0: That's an interesting question because at, at one point in in human history, they did what we call biphasic sleep. People actually slept for say four hours, and they'd wake up. They'd actually do something, maybe work, maybe think, maybe whatever, and then go back for another four hours later on. So there's some evidence that that can be very effective. But breaking up the sleep the way you're talking about almost guarantees you're not going to have those deep stages of sleep that that happen in a cycle like that. So um, you really want the bullseye here is uninterrupted uh, in the dark in a cool room without distraction for a length of time, at least seven hours. That seems to be the bullseye.
1: Mm-hmm. And you want that to be uh, a regular routine, consistently uh, so let's just say someone is working a, a swing shift, right? And their their days are opposite, but as long as they are in the same routine, sleeping in the day, that's still well, day. yeah.
0: But the thing about about shift workers is that they don't always get the days off. They have the days off some weeks, or they have the days mm-hmm. off some days, and then they go to the nights off. I I feel terrible for them, and I, and when they come in. Uh, when I happen to meet them, either because they write to me on my website or they come in for a coaching um, group that we run, um, I I I just feel terrible because there's almost no way. I mean, you you just have to make a full time job out of correcting the damage that's being done to people who are on shift work. I, I I feel cops, fire uh, firefighters. I mean. Doctors, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it, people it in is, the hospital—it's yeah. absolutely horrible.
1: Yeah, God. I mean, God bless them for doing the work that they do. You know, a
0: hundred percent. But it—it it is very. And they say, "What can we do?" And I, I go, "Get a different job." And of course, you can't say that. We need people doing these things, and they're very important and 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 heroic work. But Jesus Christ, you, I mean, you can't argue with the physiology. Those are that's a damaging schedule. Mm-hmm. for anybody who wants to get the reparative uh, uh, value of sleep. It's it's just, it's not going to happen.
1: Yeah. You mentioned something about uh, sleeping in a cold room. And I've known that to be true, at least for myself and many others, when you are sleeping in a cooler environment, it does help you sleep better overall, correct?
0: Yes. Yes. And
1: what what's the sweet spot? Is it... 65 60 degrees?
0: 68 or? degrees, but there's some debate about that. And the fact, fact is your body temperature changes during sleep. That's why people always put a cover on you when you fall asleep, because your body temperature falls, uh, drops by a couple of degrees when you fall asleep. So that's why they cover you up. And what it appears to be uh, is that to get the better deep and REM sleep, the temperature needs to go up a little bit. That's why devices like the pod cover. And by the way, I have no connection with this company at all, but they do make a thing that that changes the temperature of your mattress. It covers that and you can set it. And it actually has the temperature rise a little during the night at specific times so that it will foster REM and deep sleep because the temperature kind of you do better with those stages of sleep if you're a little warmer.
1: Yeah, interesting. I've heard of other devices or like um, blankets, Chili Sleep, I think is one of them. I'm, I don't know, I'm not affiliated. Um, or even I've I've heard of some people, you, uh, even my husband does this sometimes, he'll put one foot outside of the bed and keep the one foot in. I've
0: done that too.
1: Yeah, and it works. So uh, yeah. It's
0: a tricky thing, but I mean, obviously if you can control the temperature during the course of the evening, and and we have technology that lets you do that. That's uh, that's ideal, but most people don't have access to that. Mm-hmm. So the, for the average person, just setting the room relatively cool, like sixty eight or sixty nine, is probably a good good starting point.
1: That is one tip. What are some other tips to sleep better?
0: Well, first of all, you need to be in total darkness. And when I say total darkness, I mean I have an Apple TV that has a tiny little you know white light. I cover mm-hmm. it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so it's like in the olden days when we had VCRs and our parents had them flashing 12 o'clock. You can't have that. That's how that's how sensitive our bodies are to light when we're sleeping. So you want total darkness, preferably a cool room and biggest tip of all, turn the damn TV off. Do not fall asleep to the TV and definitely don't leave it on while you're sleeping
1: hmm Scrolling
0: in bed too. The ideal bed atmosphere is <laughs> bedrooms, we used to say, are for sleeping and getting lucky. That's it. You're not Hugh Hefner. You don't need a desk in the bed and all your papers spread out and all your screens and all your emails. You don't, you're not that. You don't need that. Do that in the office and leave it the you know what behind when you go to sleep. You should set that up as a restful relaxing environment, you should turn off your screens a half an hour before you go to bed. You should not listen to the news or read a paper uh, a half an hour before bed and actually use that time to power down. People don't know how to power down.
1: Yeah, that's huge. I mean, especially with our phone devices now, so many people just scroll right before they go to bed. They're on the computer. They're watching TV. They turn it off and then they go straight to bed something that even could help too, you had mentioned turning it off, turning your devices off 30 minutes before you go to bed. But even prior to that, if you are on your device, you know, a couple hours before bed, um, there you can turn your phone to a red light mode and different things like that. And I know that's been, that's been known to help. And for me and my husband, we try and at night we try and dim all the lights, even when we're eating dinner, just to get that mood set. So we don't have these bright fluorescent lights on at 8 p.m.
0: Another thing that people use and that we recommend in our coaching programs are blue blocker glasses. Um, very easy to get these days and terrific to wear at night. And they mm-hmm. protect your eyes against from the blue light that comes from screens. Now blue light is really important during the day because it helps to set your circadian rhythms we actually have genes that get turned on by circadian rhythms that are responsive to those rhythms and those rhythms are basically controlled by light and dark now if you think about the paleo diet the paleo diet is about eating things that are have been feeding the human genus since the beginning of time right there's a there's a paleo diet for light when you think about it the The people in Yellowstone, for example, the cowboys and the range, they didn't have electricity like we do now. They didn't have 24-hour light. They went to bed when the sun went down and they woke up when the sun came up. That's really being, that's the paleo version of a light diet where you're actually responding to light as it was intended, as as it exists in the world prior to Thomas Edison. So when you didn't have lights, you could turn on and and trick your brain into thinking, oh, the sun is still out. And then your sleep is completely disrupted. All of the genes that turn on because they respond to circadian rhythms are kind of discombobulated. So it's very important to kind of keep that blue light out at night because one of the things it does is it prevents you from releasing melatonin. Now melatonin everybody thinks of as the jet lag pill, but melatonin is one of the most powerful hormones. It's one of the strongest antioxidants. It's a huge immune system booster. When I was making YouTube videos in 2020 and people were writing me questions every day, what do I take for immunity? What did I do to build my immunity? This thing is coming. One of my top supplements was melatonin. So you want to be making melatonin and you have that blue light on, the stuff you and your husband are trying to reduce very smartly. That blue light basically tells the brain, you don't need any melatonin because the sun's still out. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the the um dampening of your own ability to make melatonin, which happens because of exposure to screens at night, is a serious problem. So don't do that or get some blue blockers or do what you and your husband do and turn the damn thing down. But you don't need bright light at night. You don't need any of this electricity and and screens and digital information and bombardment from the television. You don't need this while you're trying to sleep. You're trying to set up a restful environment in which you power down. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things they teach us in meditation. Like Take this 10 minutes and just all systems power down. People don't know how to do that. Why are we in such a, 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 a problem area here with, with sleep and insomnia and all that? One of the reasons is people don't know how to power down or they don't realize how important powering down is.
1: Yeah, well, and people are overworked, they're stressed. And uh, let's talk about a few things that are disrupting our sleep. We've already mentioned a few. What is your take on you know the diet affecting our sleep?
0: Well, you know, diet affects everything. So, it, it, you know, clearly it, it has an impact on mood. It has an impact on your hormones. It has a, an impact on your ability to rest and sleep. Um, alcohol is a huge disruptor and people don't understand it because they, they think back to the days of Saturday Night Live and Belushi and the animal house. And they think about a guy who's sprawled out there and just snoring because he had so much alcohol, but that lasts a couple of hours. And then you wake up like this in the middle of the night, three o'clock and you can't go back to sleep. So alcohol is a terrible disruptor of, of the kind of restorative sleep we are talking about that you want to aim for. It's, yeah. It's, um,
1: what about caffeine? Caffeine too. Caffeine.
0: Uh, we've in the last I don't know how many years ago this gene was discovered. The CYP1A gene. We now know that there's a gene that regulates how long caffeine stays in your system. So for all the years I started in nutrition, all everyone was like, "Oh, caffeine's bad for you." No, caffeine's not bad for you. And and they didn't realize that for some people, it will keep you up at night, and other people it won't. Um, So to the extent that caffeine stays in your system, it has a fairly long, what they call a half-life or a quarter-life. So if you drink it at four in the afternoon, it's probably still in your system at midnight and to some degree. Um, And some people are impervious to that and some people are not. I've always said as a nutritionist and health professional trained in functional medicine and functional nutrition, I have seen over the course of my career people who can take a Valium and go out and party and people who can have two espressos and sleep like a baby. There's a whole range of reactions to substances, to drugs, to supplements, to foods. Um, but in general, I think it's a good idea if caffeine keeps you up. And even if you're not quite aware, but maybe it's keeping you restless, that it would be good to keep it to the morning. I'm a big believer, I love coffee. I think it's a wonderful source of antioxidants. There's good research showing that it actually reduces the risk of certain diseases. Uh, So I'm not anti-caffeine, but if you are a person who has a copy of that gene that says, when I drink it, it's gonna stay in my system for 12 hours, you gotta accommodate that. In your coffee drinking and make sure you kind of keep it to the morning.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely pro coffee for sure. And I I am one of those people that I can have a cup of coffee at 5 p.m. and sleep fine, or even, you know, eight p.m. and I'm I'm fine. But my husband is completely opposite. If he has coffee after 10 a.m., forget it, you know.
0: Lots of people like that. And and you know, I, I wish that we would understand that that kind of variety exists on pra- on the spectrum of, on practically any substance you can mention.
1: Yeah, yeah, because coffee does have tons of of health benefits. wonderful it's full of antioxidants. Absolutely. If you drink it, obviously, if you're drinking good quality pure coffee, not the latte, foamy, you know, whatever syrup laden stuff. Okay, so let's talk about hormones for a second and what the body does when it sleeps to regulate hormones.
0: Well, let's take two hormones that are directly related to weight because that always gets people's attention um, since weight loss is such a hot topic. It has been a hot topic for the 33 years that I've been doing this. It never stops being a hot topic. So you have two, you have many hormones in your body that, re, that relate to appetite and satiety. I want to talk about two. One is called leptin and one is called ghrelin. Now leptin is the hormone that goes to the brain and says, hey, you're full. The, the 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 gas tank is full. So leptin is like the gas gauge on your car and it's saying, time to fill up. It's down on empty. Oh, we got plenty of gas for this trip. You can relax. So leptin actually sends a signal to the brain to say, hey, you've eaten enough food. You're full. Your fat stores are full. There's plenty of energy. You don't have to eat anymore. It's an important hormone. Ghrelin, is called the the hunger hormone, and ghrelin is the hormone that gets released when the gas tank gets to empty, and it's a, and it literally is an imperative to eat. And think about it from an evolutionary point of view: if you didn't have something telling you to eat when the tank was was empty, you would die, right? Mm-hmm. So you need some signaling that goes on that goes oh. I'm responsive to how much energy my cells are carrying right now and how much gas there is in the tank. And when it's low, I better tell this guy to go out there and hunt hunt him some food or gather up some nuts or whatever and, and fill back up. So okay. when you don't sleep, both these hormones go bananas. They don't work. So now you've got a hunger hormone that's screaming at you to get full, even though your storage tank might be full. But the gas tank is doing this and going and Golan is saying, eat, eat, eat. Meanwhile, leptin is not even getting into the brain to say there's plenty of food there. You don't need to eat. So your appetite is completely dysregulated. And anybody who's ever had a pulled a, an all nighter, which most of us have not done since college. But if you can remember what the day after the all nighter is, you will eat anything.
1: Yeah, you can't stop.
0: That's growing.
1: Yeah, I remember I remember those days for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, and did you did you fast the next day? No, sir. You were like anything you could get your hands on.
1: Yeah, and then you have stomach issues of course too. And um I feel like there is a huge correlation between even if you don't pull an all-nighter, let's just say the average person, they have insomnia, they can't sleep. There's a huge correlation between Uh, not sleeping and having digestive issues. And maybe that could be a key factor of what you just talked about.
0: Mm -hmm. It could be indeed. So we've already seen three hormones that are majorly disrupted when you don't sleep well. Ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone, leptin, which is the, ah, he's full hormone, and melatonin, which doesn't get released when you're not sleeping well. So these are three hormones that are very important. The fourth one is Cortisol. So cortisol is the main stress hormone in the body. It's released by the adrenals uh, in response to any kind of stressor. The body sees not sleeping as a major stressor. Think about what they do in in spy movies when they're trying to torture someone or they're trying to get information out of them they keep them up all night, right? They play loud music, they turn on the lights, right? Sleep deprivation is a terrible stressor. You can actually make someone metabolically ill by one to three nights of sleep deprivation. You can give them all the metabolic markers of insulin resistance just by preventing them from having proper sleep for three nights in a row and all of a sudden you've got insulin resistance and you've got the biometrics to prove it so this is a huge stressor for the body so now cortisol is on the roof cortisol which is supposed to rise when you wake up in the morning and kind of be down during the sleep is now whoa what has this guy just done to us Cortisol sends a message to the body to store fat around the middle. That's one of the things it does. It also shrinks a part of the brain, known as the hippocampus, which has to do with memory and thinking. So you have brain shrinkage and you have waist expansion, all from this stress hormone called cortisol. And when you don't sleep, that's a signal for the body to release more of that hormone.
1: 20 million Americans suffer from chronic digestive diseases And many of these issues can be avoided by simply digesting food properly. That's why our body needs digestive enzymes. Usually, digestive enzymes are produced in different parts of the body, like the mouth, where digestion begins, stomach, pancreas, and small intestine. But many of us don't make enough enzymes or can't use them properly. This is why supplementing with digestive enzymes is crucial for optimum digestion and absorption. Back in 2020, I created my very own digestive enzyme capsules that you can easily swallow or break open and sprinkle over your meal or blend it into a smoothie. My digestive enzymes only contain the enzymes you want and more of them, so it's super concentrated. I wanted each pill packed with the most they could hold. There's no soy, gluten, gums, or silicone dioxide commonly found in many pills. None of the nasties, only the good stuff. And right now, I am doing a buy one, get one free sale this has never happened before, so grab them before they're gone. You can get up to eight bottles, so stock up. Just go to the special link. I'll leave it in the description of the show, but I'll also say it here. It's newsest.us slash enzymebogo. The deal will automatically be applied. Just a little personal story is that when um, I, I went through some pretty um, some major stressors and I had some pretty uh, uh, high levels of anxiety, let's just say that. And uh, I know it was definitely my cortisol levels were through the roof and I wasn't sleeping. And it would come and go and I noticed that the nights I didn't sleep, I had major anxiety and I would wake up and I'd be like, in the morning, why am I so anxious? Why am I so stressed? And it would click, oh, I only got three hours of sleep. And, you know, it took a while for that to register and the correlation of just not sleeping. And for those that have anxiety and suffer with anxiety, I feel like that is a a whole spinning circle because they have anxiety, they can't sleep. But not sleeping is causing them anxiety.
0: It's causing them more. Yes, it's a it's a vicious circle. You are absolutely right.
1: So, if someone is in that vicious circle right now with anxiety, can't sleep, then more anxiety comes. Wh- what would your advice be to that person? Is there anything that they can do?
0: Yeah, well, when 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 you're feeling insomnia, when, when you're feeling insomnia, I don't know if that's the right way to say, it, but when you're Um, unable to sleep and you're sitting there, the last thing you really want to do and the thing that most of us do do is worry about it. Because that's just going to guarantee you're not going to fall asleep. You cannot worry yourself into sleep. So if you're sitting up there and you're thinking, oh my God, I can't sleep. Oh, this is going to ruin my day. That's probably not the best way to treat the the insomnia. Um, All the sleep experts I've heard and listened to and respect Kind of say the same thing about this, which is when you just can't sleep, just wake up and enjoy it, read, lay there, even if you watch TV or listen to the radio, Don't just don't fight it. Just yeah. just surrender to it and go, okay, I'll be up. And if and when I'm relaxed enough to fall back asleep, I will. So you just certainly don't want to compound the damage by sitting there and then worrying about the thing you're trying to get rid of. If you can't sleep, you can't sleep.
1: Yeah, that's it. That. Definitely what I've done before, too, is just you get up, do some work. I've done some work on the computer just because or read a book and uh, organize your closet, you know, something like that. Now, what about exercise at night versus exercise in the morning? Now, exercising at night, does that disrupt our sleep?
0: Definitely. If it's a high-intensity exercise and it gets cortisol going, then your cortisol levels are going to be high. That's not conducive to sleep. Um this has been debated since I was a trainer at Equinox in the 90s. That's how long it's been debated. I, I am a believer in the advantages of earlier in the day exercise, uh, not just physiologically, but psychologically. I think that when you do something good for yourself early on, when you get your meditation done or your walk in the woods or your whatever it is that you do in your routine, you start the day with that. You send a message message. To your brain that oh you're taking care of yourself this is a good thing you get on a roll of good things so i think it sets the tone i think it's much less likely to be pushed off to later and then you wind up not doing it at all that's certainly happened to me when i go oh, i'll go to the late in the afternoon late in the afternoon becomes early evening and then you go i don't want to go at seven o'clock and you just don't go so i think routine starting in the morning better better mm-hmm. idea for most people but like i said earlier in the interview there's such a huge variety. There are people who do this at night and they do fine. I'm not one of them. So mm-hmm. if I had to pick, I'd go with the earlier part of the day.
1: Yeah. And you did mention something too I wanted to point out is you said routine. And that could not necessarily be about exercise, but just routine in general. When you have a routine, you tend to sleep better, correct?
0: I'm a huge believer in routines. Um Tim Ferriss, who is one of the smartest podcast interviewers in the world, I'd say, has interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of top performers from Michael Jordan to Bill Gates to Tony Robbins. I mean, these super performers. And he's even written a book called Tools of Titans when he took like everything that he saw that they had in common and put it kind of in a book, like they all do this or most of them do this or most of them do that. And there are certain things that most of them do. There's not anything that a 100% of them do, but there's a lot of things that 80% or 90% of them do. And one of them is having a routine. Mm -hmm. There is such power in a routine. It stabilizes you. It grounds you. It sets the tone for your day. I I would not be without my 13 step routine in the morning. I don't know what I would do without it. It's a very, very important part of my day. And it does set the foundation for what comes afterwards. So if you're kind of like, well, what do I do now? You know, that's not a great beginning for any day. So I have mine um other people have theirs but the morning routine i think is incredibly important and one of the i'll just give you a couple of things that that we teach in our in our coaching programs um uh one is something i learned from the great dr daniel amen a great friend of mine the psychiatrist he's done nine pbs specials 15 new york times uh books uh best-selling books and he's he starts every day with a statement today is going to be a great day he just says it out loud. Today is going to be a great day. It's a message. It goes to your subconscious, whether you believe it or not. Doesn't matter. You say that. And the second thing that many experts recommend, including me, is within a few minutes of waking up, or as, as soon as you can in the morning, out first hour that you're up, go out and get five minutes of sun exposure. Just stand there and bathe in
1: it. Mm-hmm.
0: Because yeah, that sets your, your you live sets in a, your
1: circadian rhythm, right?
0: It does set your circadian rhythm. It's a mood uh, booster. You get some vitamin D if you're in Alaska and it's freezing. Just look out the window. Do you know? Do the best you can yeah. to get exposure to sun for a few minutes in the morning. It's a very very smart thing to do. And I make that part of my routine.
1: Great. Can you share? Can you share your routine? Do you mind?
0: I start with. Eight to twelve ounces of water every single morning. I leave it on the bedpost so that I don't forget. It took me about three weeks to get in that habit. Very, very important. Um, I try to take a walk with the dog. I try to be phone-free for the first hour or two. I'm not all. I'm not always great at that, but I. That's certainly an aspiration. I meditate every morning. Um, I may miss ten days a year, but basically every morning for the last five years, I. Um, Do my meditation. I use the Waking App App by Sam Harris. Highly recommended. I try to read every morning at least a little bit. You know, I read from the Daily Stoic, from Robert Greene's Laws of Human Nature, Daily Laws. And there's a number of books that I just sort of sample and, and read that are in philosophy or um, what you might call self-help, self-improvement, or, you know, some of the ancient Stoics. And I kind of read a little bit of that, get grounded, do my meditation, spend a little time with the dog, and um, then I'm ready for the day.
1: That, that's great. And do you uh, wait to eat breakfast right away?
0: I play tennis every day and I play in the mornings. And so I intermittent fast most days, not every single one, but mm-hmm. most days I don't eat until I'm done. And so I start my workday after 12 noon and that's when I have my first meal. So I almost never eat in the morning.
1: Yeah, well, I have to say I'm kind of on the same routine. I typically have breakfast or lunch uh, around 11 or 12. Again, some days I wake up and I am very hungry. So I honor that, you know.
0: Or a weekend or if I'm with my family or they're having brunch. I mean, I I definitely am not obsessive about it. But the normal course of events, I'm on the tennis court 7.30 or 8 every morning, um, 10 at the latest. And I usually play on an empty stomach and I do not get hungry. because my metabolism is adapted to fat we it's what we teach is a fat burning metabolism most of us have a sugar burning metabolism which is why we're starving every two hours Uh, and you know once your body learns that oh there's no sugar coming down but no problem. I got a savings account with 87 gazillion calories worth of fat stored, which every one of us has, even the skinny of us, has thousands of fat calories stored in our body. And if your body's metabolism knows how to access it, you don't get hungry because you haven't eaten, because you go, you have yeah. all of this energy to burn. And that's that's what has happened to me over the years.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can agree. Well, that's great information, great advice. Um I do have to say for my listeners, I do have my coffee in the morning with with fat. I do have it with the the ghee um and some gelatin. So, um that that typically holds me over until lunch. But um now let's talk about dinner time. Now, does the time you eat dinner affect how good you're going to sleep that night? It's like, if you eat, you know, an hour before you go to bed versus four hours before you go to bed.
0: I think the ideal, which not everybody achieves, but like we we wrote a, a cor- I wrote a course called Meta Fasting uh, that we still sell, um, and it's a sort of a home uh, course on intermittent fasting and the basics and how to do it. And um, one of the lessons that I think that we have learned from the fasting communities. Is that if you can leave three to four hours in between meals, whether you're fasting or not, even if you're eating breakfast, lunch and dinner, that three to four hour window is so important and it includes after dinner. So I realize that eating late at night and eating while you're watching TV is a huge issue for many people, including me. I get it. But the bullseye on this is if you can put the food away after your dinner and let three or four hours go before bedtime, that's the bullseye. I get that not everybody can do it. But if you if you strive for that, you're gonna not only sleep better, you're going to have a much, much healthier metabolism.
1: Yeah, well, and I, for anyone suffering with digestive issues too, I, uh, me including myself, I find that I do sleep better not when I've had dinner a few hours before, definitely because when you lay down, you can get acid reflux. Sometimes you feel like a lump in your stomach right after you lay down. Even in the daytime, if I have lunch and I go lay down on the couch, it's you feel weird just laying down. So for anyone suffering with digestive issues, that could be great uh, advice. But I also have heard carbs can help you sleep. Do you have any advice? Maybe a little rice or cottage cheese for protein or like I said, some uh, raw honey before bed? It's
0: interesting that about 20 years ago, a, uh, a PhD named Catherine Des Moines, um, who I believe had a PhD in addictive nutrition or at least you know was uh, a great student of the effect of nutrition on mood and psychology, uh, wrote a book called Potatoes, Not Prozac.
2: Hmm.
0: It was a classic book when I was a nutrition student. And what she basically argued is, forget the Prozac. If everybody would eat some starch at night, their tryptophan levels would go up, they would sleep better, and their mood would be improved. So there is definitely a case to be made for carbs at night. There's also a case to be made against it. And the case against it is that Uh, And I don't know how much we're going to be able to get into insulin resistance in this in the short time that we have left. But insulin resistance is the metabolic plague of the 21st century. It's also most of your audience knows that it's pre-diabetes. It's technically called insulin resistance syndrome. And pre-diabetes affects 88% of Americans. 88% of Americans. When you eat carbohydrates, when you eat any food, but especially carbohydrates, your blood sugar rises and the response of the body is to release insulin. And insulin's job is to get that sugar out of the bloodstream where it can do serious damage and get it into the muscle cells. But over time, when we eat too many carbs, as we do in the American diet generally, too much processed food, we are constantly having our blood sugar elevated, constantly having our insulin elevated because it's trying to bring that sugar back down. And after a while, the cells become resistant to the effects of it. They just don't listen anymore. And now you've got both high blood sugar and high insulin. That's the definition of diabetes and certainly pre-diabetes. So um, when you eat carbs at night, you're also stimulating insulin. And we, I want to be in fat burning mode i'm sleeping i don't want to be in digestion mode i don't want to be with insulin is elevated because you don't really lose weight when your insulin is elevated it's very very hard to do insulin is kind of a it's there to store stuff not to burn stuff so you know eating a big high carb meal at night might make you feel nice and sleepy but basically your body's going to be using its energy to digest for, for the first half of the night rather than to burn the fat that's already there.
1: Mm. Well, that the, you brought up something really interesting because let's just say for example if someone is trying to lose weight and they're having trouble sleeping it could be that they're not sleeping that's what's causing them to not lose weight like we previously talked about with the cortisol and the, the hormones. If someone maybe ate carbs at night to help them sleep, even though they're trying to lose weight, do you think that could potentially help them lose weight just because they're able to get sleep from the carbs? <laughs> the
0: very, uh, I get exactly what you're saying. That is not a crazy hypothesis. It's a very sensible um, point of view, and it, it might very well work. And I just think it's going to Depend on the individual, depend on the carb sensitivity, the insulin resistance, uh, how how much insulin resistance you have um, and how much blood sugar and insulin are raised by the carbs you eat. There's probably, you know, eat a half a potato is one thing, eat a olive garden pasta piece is another. So these things are going to have differential effects on people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's definitely individualized for sure. Um, now, I know you said you wanted to talk about insulin resistance. I'm not sure if we have enough time, but can you elaborate on that?
0: Yeah. It's basically what I said It's that when yep. you eat food, your your blood sugar goes up and in the best of all, in a healthy metabolism, the pancreas goes, oh, you eat a little bit of food. Let's squirt a little bit of insulin in the system. Insulin comes along takes that sugar, gives it to the muscle cells. That's a great thing because in an ideal world with a healthy metabolism, the person who just ate is probably gonna either be exercising or playing if he's a kid or doing something that is gonna require that energy. So everything is great. The insulin takes the sugar into the muscle cells, muscles use it, uh, blood sugar comes down a little, kid gets hungry again, he goes back, has supper, everything is great, that's a healthy metabolism. That's not what happens. What happens in America is that 30 years later, you wake up, you haven't slept, your cortisol's on the ceiling, you run to Starbucks, you get a 900 calorie no fat blueberry muffin and a bente latte, two pumps of soy, whatever it is, 8000 calories, mostly sugar or stuff that converts to sugar. The pancreas is going code blue, code blue. It's secreting all this insulin and insulin is trying to take that excess sugar and get it into the muscle cells. But the muscle cells say, what do we need it for? He's gonna to go to the computer and work all day. And when he gets home, he's gonna sit on the couch with the clicker. We don't need any energy, take it elsewhere. And insulin begins to take that to the fat cells. And now you, your waist starts to expand. And now you start to get fatter, especially around the abdominal area, and your energy is depleted. And that continues. And the but what's basically happened is the cells are saying, We don't need it. And now your insulin is elevated. Your blood sugar is elevated. And that is what we call insulin resistance. The cells are resisting the effect of insulin, taking sugar and giving it to them because they don't need it.
1: Yeah, and we're seeing that pre-diabetes in children now.
0: Oh, absolutely. They don't, we used to call type two diabetes adult onset diabetes. Nobody uses that term anymore because we see it in 13 year olds.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's sad, and um, I feel like you're bringing a lot of great awareness to so many great, just different topics. Again, sleep being one of them. It's something that so many people either do struggle with currently, or have, or know someone that does, and so your advice it has been just crucial. And before we go, I do uh, want to ask too, do you have any recommendations that are things that are natural to help someone sleep like CBD or any?
0: CBD is great for sleep for many people. Mm-hmm. Valerian or, or, um, you know, chamomile tea. There's, there's all kinds of things Valerian. like that, that, that can be helpful and there are different sleep formulas. Daniel Amen has one. I know. And, um, so there are different combinations of nutrients that can help calm your brain a little bit and 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 set you up for better sleep. And by the way, just to put a cap on the insulin resistance part, I said that earlier. Um, this terrible metabolic plague that makes us fat, sick, tired, and depressed, and is ruining the, the entire healthcare system, and that no doctors are even checking for insulin resistance can be created by sleep deprivation. Mm. So they are in it just. Tied together, you know, in in, in in a way that is very frightening. Um, mm-hmm. But you get more insulin resistant when you don't sleep well.
1: And well, interesting too. And and if a doctor it notices insulin resistance, do they, they don't.
0: They don't well, even know what to look for.
1: Would they even say to someone that's di- diabetic or pre-diabetic, "Hey"? Would they ask them, "How's your sleep patterns?"
0: Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. This was really the main, one of the main points in our book, The Great Cholesterol Myth, the revised edition that came out in 2020. Insulin resistance shows up 10 years before your doctor says, oh, you know, your blood sugar is high. Oh, you know, your A1C is high. We should put you on metformin. Oh, oh, your cholesterol is high. We should put you on a statin. 10 years earlier, you can see insulin resistance and it leads to these things as absolutely inevitably. It's insulin resistance, pre-diabetes, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, Alzheimer's. These are all metabolic diseases they can be. You can see the germ of it with insulin resistance showing up 10 years earlier if doctors knew how to check for it, were aware of it, and knew what to do about it. But they don't.
1: So, can someone test for insulin resistance on their own? Is there absolutely
0: anything that you, do? you have to? You're going to have to pay for it yourself. You have to. You have to know. I mean, this is another discussion, but the healthcare system is so broken that I don't see. I, I'm not optimistic about it ever being fixed. I think that we're going to have to go and start to pay for our own tests and insurance companies won't cover these tests. They're very important. Um, You can test for your insulin resistance very easily and very inexpensively. You've gotta convince your doctor to do one simple test, which is fasting insulin. If they do fasting insulin, they already do glucose because that's on every test in every, you go to Kaiser, every single blood test, every CBC has has fasting glucose, triglycerides, cholesterol. They're all gonna have the glucose get the fasting insulin test, take that number, take your glucose number, go online, look for a calculator, an insulin resistance calculator, it's called HOMA-IR, and you put those two numbers in just like BMI, you put your weight and height, and it calculates the algorithm for BMI, Mm -hmm. this will calculate insulin resistance
1: score. That's great advice. Yeah, we definitely need to be proactive and be our own advocate and start testing early so that we can prevent so many things down the line. Well, thank you so much, doctor. I love having you on the show. Again, you just bring such a wealth of knowledge. And for anyone listening, where can people find you?
0: Well, we are, if you're interested in our coaching groups, we have wonderful 12-week coaching programs called the Weight and Wellness Reset at Rockwell Health or Rockwell Weight and Wellness Resort. It's all on, on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Johnny Bowden. And I have a website, which is johnnybowden.com. No H and Johnny. And all my books are on Amazon. And-
1: we'll make sure to let people know. And again, thanks so much for coming on.
0: My pleasure. And I hope I see you soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McComb. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first.
2: Looking to build a more robust foundation in your health and well-being? From the producer of Digest This comes one of the most popular alternative health shows on Apple Podcasts, The Dr. Tina Show. Dr. Tina Moore is a naturopathic physician and chiropractor, traditionally and alternatively trained in science and medicine. The show features exclusive interviews with experts such as Sean Stevenson, Mike Mutzel, Mark Groves, and even solo episodes covering metabolic health, pharmaceuticals, chronic diseases, long hauler syndrome, and pain management. Dr. Tina delivers the information in a no-nonsense, real-world style, and she has the science to back it up. The Dr. Tina Show is edgy, entertaining, and informative. Every episode will leave you with a new pearl of health wisdom to expand your knowledge base. When you're empowered, you can do better for yourself, your family, and your community. Resilience is the name of the game, and Dr. Tina is here to guide you on your way. Listen to The Dr. Tina Show today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resident Media.